The scripture for tonight's sermon comes in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 11. The word of God speaks to us. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is God's word to us. Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening, everybody. Hey, that, that feels better. I was about to say, it feels good to be in a room that has some energy, and then I heard that. Uh, Hey, man, it's, it's, it's a delight to be with you guys. It's a delight to see the five looking a little bit different. My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm glad you're with us. Um, I'll, I'll just echo what Corey said. If you're new to Frontline or if you're new to Christianity, tonight's an amazing night to be here because we're actually talking about how God equips his people to live together as a family. You, you might see this passage and be like, man, what an odd night I chose to visit a church. But actually, this is just Paul laying out for the church at Corinth how God equips his people to be his people. And if you're here with us this evening and you have an illness or you have some kind of pain or persistent sickness that you'd like to be healed from, we're gonna pray at the end of our service that God would heal you. Um, if, you're, if you're here and you're longing that God would let you participate in his work in a new way where you could actually pray for the sick and see power of God on display, we're gonna give you that opportunity as well. So um, let's pray. We got a lot to do, and I'm only in part two of last week's text, so there's, there's a lot in front of us to do. Let's ask God to help us. <clears throat> God, thanks for your goodness. Thanks for your mercy. And I just ask that you would continue to be with us tonight. We don't ever have to ask you to be present. You're always here. There's no place we can go to escape your presence. I just ask that you would um, make your presence known to us. For people that um, are standing on the edge or leaned back against the wall, God, I ask that you would um, welcome them in. Oh, you're fine. God's not offended and neither am I. You're fine. So God, speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. It takes a lot to offend. It actually takes a lot to distract me, so you're totally, you're totally straight. <clears throat> okay, hey, in, in 1994, there was a New Testament scholar by the name of Gordon Fee, and he published a monstrous book. It looks like a dictionary or encyclopedia. And the title of the book is God's Empowering Presence. And, and the focus of the book was a comprehensive study of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the letters of Paul. And he writes in the introduction about how each word of the title expresses his passion for the church, God's empowering presence. He talked about the personal nature of the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit isn't an it or the Holy Spirit isn't, as Fee said, some sort of gray, oblong blob. 
but the Holy Spirit is the living presence, the personal presence of God himself. And just because the Spirit is invisible, Fee argues, doesn't mean he's impersonal. And if, if he longs for us to see the personal presence of God in the Holy Spirit, then he wants us to understand how God empowers his church through the presence of the Spirit, and in dealing with the Holy Spirit, we're dealing with the temple of God. We, we, we've been told twice in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 3, verse 16, and in chapter 6, verse 19, that the temple is the place where God dwells. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, and now by extension to us, you are the temple of God. And the Spirit's dwelling among us marks a new way in which the power of God and the presence of God works throughout the earth. And Fee says his burden, his passion for the church is that the church would walk in, quote, an experienced awareness of the personal power and presence of God. An experienced awareness And hey, in our last two weeks together in this section on God's empowering presence in the church, I've heard testimony from lots of community groups where people have said, hey, there's no resistance in our group to the ministry of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's just no experience whatsoever in our group for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And and this is why we're doing this, by the way. This is why we're taking the time to stretch it out and walk slowly through this passage so that by God's grace, you can grow in an experienced awareness of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church today. And I don't know if this is for you, but I had this sense as I prayed for us this evening. There's different ways we respond when we don't understand something or we don't have experience with something. Some of us get hyper-focused and lean in and pay a lot of attention. Others of us, when we don't understand something, get combative and lean back. Others of us just get dismissive. And my prayer is we wouldn't do any of those things. We would just open our hands and say, hey, God, we want to be your people. We want to walk in your ways. Would you give us and supply for us everything we need to do the work you've called us to do? So that's my burden for us tonight and my burden for us in the weeks to come that we would grow in an experienced awareness. Now let me tell you my concern tonight or my fear, if I want to be honest, or the limitations I have. When we talk about healing and miracles, which we're going to talk about tonight, those are my two main focuses in our time tonight, and then we're going to talk about discerning of spirits. So we're we're going to hit three elements in Paul's list, picking up from where Pastor Chad led us last week. But when we talk about healing and miracles in particular, people tend to get real persnickety about definitions, and they get hyper-focused on tiny elements of technical details in healing. What, well, if that would have been the case, then that would have actually been a healing, or if that would have been the case, that would have actually been a miracle. And I just want to say, like, I don't even have the margin to get as technical as people get in this conversation. There's a scholar who happens to be a friend of mine. His name is John C. Beckman. It sounds like a good scholarly name. John C. Beckman has two PhDs. He has a PhD from Stanford in electrical engineering, and he has a PhD from Harvard in Semitic languages. It means he's smarter than I am. Um, and, and, and Beckman wrote this article. I, I, I wrote down the title of his journal article for you guys to see the level of technicality that people engage in this conversation. He wrote this journal article years ago called, this is the title, Quantum Mechanics, 
chaos physics and the open view of God. And you're like, what on earth is John C. Beckman doing? Here's what he does. He, he argues in the case of miracles, and he talks about Jesus' words to Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And he literally evaluates every single contingency that Peter experienced from the moment Jesus spoke those words until the rooster crowed for the third time, and evaluates them according to chaos mathematics and all these other things, how this certainly qualifies as a miracle. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't have that, I don't have that. I don't have that level of intelligence. I don't have that disposition. And tonight, I certainly don't have that time. Uh, but, but I don't want my lack of disposition in a certain direction or my lack of time to mean that I want to be imprecise. I want to be as precise as we can be with what we have in front of us. And I want to do that to honor God and his word and to serve you guys well. So what I want us to do is I want us to ask, what are gifts of healings? And I say that plurally on purpose. What are gifts of healings? What are workings of miracles? And what does it mean that Paul talks about discerning of spirits? And then how do we pursue and practice those in the body? What are those three things, and how do we pursue and practice those in the body? But before we can answer those questions, I need to hit something really quickly on the front end that actually keeps us from understanding these gifts and keeps us from walking in these gifts. And what I, what I mean to lay out before you is there are a lot of us that operate as if God's performing miracles in our midst sort of functions like God's standing away distant from the world. And when we witness a miracle, it's like God reaching his hand into a world that he's otherwise disconnected from. But God is present and connected and sovereignly ordaining everything in the world. So it's not as if a miracle means God reaches his hand into the aquarium and he didn't have his hand in the aquarium previously. If, if we're viewing the cosmos as the aquarium, not only does God uphold it by the word of his mouth, but his hands are in it all the time and he's present with us all the time. So miracles aren't God suspending his absence. Miracles are God walking in a different way that actually gives us means by which to see what God is doing all the time anyway. Does that make sense? There's a way in which we function like deists, which deists think that God created the world like a watchmaker and then just left it to itself. And we're inclined, even as evangelicals, to process miracles as if we're deists. But that's, that's not how the world functions. Let me just give you three passages of Scripture, and then we'll move on to workings of miracles. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul tells us that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's not outside of the universe. He's in it right now, holding everything together. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. God's hand and God's presence are never outside of our world or distant from our world. So when we experience the miraculous movement of God, it's not God stepping into some place that he was previously absent. 
So with that on the table, I just want, I want you to acknowledge your propensity and my propensity to sometimes view the world that way. But I want us to see miracles differently. So let's look at these three gifts, and I want us to start with miracles, even though it's not the first in the list, because I believe healing is a specific kind of miracle. So look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you close your Bible, you can open back up. And I want us to talk about where Paul talks here about workings of miracles. To some, God gives workings of miracles. And, and the most literal translation here is workings of power. But it's critical to see that it's plural. Both the work and the miracle is plural. And, and it's going to be more critical as we move to healing. But Paul is giving us plural dynamics here. And, and the best definition I can give you of workings of miracles is a special divine action. Craig Keener, in his book on miracles, he says that miracles are paranormal functions, not in the psychic sense or like X-Files sense, but in contrast to that which is normal or ordinary. There's a normal or ordinary way in which God is constantly at work in the world, and then there are paranormal ways in which God works in the world, not to signify he's present where he was previously absent, but to heighten our awareness of his presence in that moment. Let me, let me read to you a quote by Lewis Smedes about this reality. He says this, in the biblical view, a miracle is a signal that God is for a moment and for a special purpose walking down paths he does not usually walk. A miracle is not a sign that a God who is usually absent is for the moment present. It is only a sign that God who is always present in creative power is working here and now in an unfamiliar style. So what are examples of miracles? And what I wanted to do tonight is just give you a couple from my own experience or some that flow from people that are connected to me. Because I, I fear sometimes that when we talk about the miraculous, we talk about the ministry of the Spirit in the church, we default to like quoting books from the Second Great Awakening or something else, or the Toronto Revival, or the early days of the, the, the renewal movement in the vineyard, and we, we stop realizing that God's doing this stuff right now. I have a dear friend named Patrick. He died a couple of years ago of cancer. But I have a dear friend named Patrick who, when I first met him, and he told me his story, I've never encountered the hand of God on someone like this in my life. And I said, Patrick, how did you meet Jesus? And he laughed at the lunch table. He said, I'll tell you how I met Jesus. He said, I was making tons of money, and I was in utter depression and despair. And he said, I got things in order in my life. I was connected to no one. I had not a single friend. I didn't want to inconvenience my boss at work. So I took vacation from work, having no intention on going on vacation, but having every intention of killing myself. He said, I packed up everything in my apartment so as not to be a burden to my landlord. I wrapped up stuff at work. I sat down for an evening. I ate a meal I wanted to eat. I drank a bottle of wine. I played a record I wanted to play, and I was going to take medicine. He had stolen an IV from the hospital. He was a nurse, and he was going to kill himself. And as he's preparing to give himself the IV, his phone rings. He said, no one even had my phone number. I don't know who this was. He answers the phone, and the voice on the other end of the phone says, hey, I have no idea where you are. I have no idea what time it is 
All I know is it's one o'clock in the morning where I live and God woke me up and gave me your number and told you, Patrick, choose to live. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And Patrick led so many people to Jesus and walked with so many people in pain and suffering, bearing out the miraculous fruit of God in his life there. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Um, I called a friend last fall. So I lived in Oklahoma City this time. I called a friend who I knew was traveling to uh, a country in the Middle East, a closed country in a dangerous place. And I called him thinking he was leaving the next week just to tell him I was praying for him. And he answers the phone and he says, I have no idea how your call got through. I don't have time to talk. Please pray. We're being arrested. He was already in the country. And I hung up the phone, prayed, texted some of our other friends to pray. We all prayed for this friend. And he called us six hours later and says, I have no idea what you guys did to pray, but let me tell you the things God did supernaturally to deliver us from custody in this closed country. And he said, it's nothing short of a miracle. It's a miracle. It's God actually walking in a different way. It's not as if God wasn't involved in that man's life or the team that was sharing Jesus with these people in a close country. It's God chose to shine the light on his work in a different way. This was 20 years ago now. I was in India visiting friends who were planning a church there. And my friends had a little kid. I bet Emil at the time was like four and as we were hanging out in this home, an oven fell over on the top of a meal that was on and hot and open. And these things look like dishwashers. They don't look like our ovens, right? This oven, this open oven falls over on a child. And every reason in the room said that this kid should be in a really bad way. And when we pulled this kid out of the oven, he was fine, utterly happy, delighted. And he said, Dad, I wish you wouldn't have pulled the oven off so quickly. The angel that God sent to care for me was so fun. His dad, his dad was kind of mad. His dad thought he was being precocious. His dad was a missionary, by the way. He's like, hey, stop messing around. You could have died. And he's like, Dad, I don't understand why you're so angry. God sent an angel, and he held me in the oven, and I was fine. They were putting him to bed that night, and his dad said, hey, where is your dog? He had this stuffed dog, and Emil said, well, the angel put it on top of the fence post when he flew away. I watched him when you took the oven off me. And sure enough, his dad goes outside, and this stuffed animal is on top of the fence post that this four-year-old child could have never reached. It was a miracle. And hey, God is doing this stuff all the time. Not as if he's distant and decides to flex his muscles and stick his hand in the box and do this. He's always present, always caring for us, always manifesting his love for us, and he decides sometimes to do it in different ways. And the purpose we see that he does this is to awaken awe, to awaken wonder, to lead people to repentance, to move in such a way where people say, okay, I have nothing else to argue, this is God. What else am I supposed to say? Now, I realize that some of you hear me and you're skeptical. Maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you're just skeptical in general, and that's fine, man. I, I love the honesty that you demand we bring to the equation with your presence in the room. But if you're here this evening and you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're here this evening and you're a skeptic, my question for you is, what do you do with the phenomena that exist in the world that you can't explain? There are things you encounter that you can't explain. 
Like, all of us have a story of in the car accident, in the surgery, when the doctor said, hey, man, one more millimeter of this and you would have been dead. One more mile per hour of this and you would have been dead. Had you not looked down to mess with your phone, that car would have hit you or whatever else. All of us have those stories. What do you do to explain those phenomena? And and, and if you want to have some sort of impersonal force or luck or karma or something else, I, I, I don't want to argue with you. I just want to invite you to consider that in, in place of impersonal, accidental, occasional forces, there actually is a loving God present in the universe, stewarding everything that happens to draw attention and glory to his name and to give you joy and freedom and peace. So I want to ask those of you in the room who are followers of Jesus, how do you pray for God's intervention in the world? How does your prayer life evidence a desire for God to walk in paranormal ways, unnatural ways, abnormal ways? Do our, do our prayer lives reflect that? Do you believe that he does that? And if you do, how do we pray in that way? Here's a, here's a great litmus test that we can ask ourselves. If God answered every single prayer you prayed this week, what would be different about Oklahoma City? If God answered every prayer you pray this week, what would be different about the world? If God, if God answered every prayer you prayed this week, what would be different with you? Well, let me ask you this question. How do we navigate disappointment in our prayer life? How when we ask God, because a lot of times we see God move miraculously and we didn't ask him to do anything. That's amazing. That's, that's a love of a, that's a, love, that's a love of an infinitely holy, beautiful, merciful God. But how do we ask God to move? And what happens when we ask him to move and we feel like we're disappointed or he left us hanging or we begged him and asked him to put his name on the line for something and he didn't do it? How do we deal with our disappointment? Because God isn't sweating it. God's not feeling like, oh man, I, I missed it. God accomplishes everything he sets out to do. God is never stressed and he's never bored. He is, according to John Frame, always at every moment perfectly accomplishing everything he set out to do. So so what do we do with his supernatural movement in the world? And what do we do when we ask him to move and he disappoints us? How, How could we pray in such a way as to make room or beseech God for the miraculous. Now, I got got time limits, so I wanna move on. Perhaps one of the most identifiable miracles we see is miraculous healing. So let's talk for a second about what Paul does when he talks about gifts of healings. And if you look in 1 Corinthians 12, we see in verse 10, or I skipped it, right? I went ahead, look at verse nine. So in verse 10, he talks about workings of miracles. In verse 9, he says, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts of, and your ESV here says healing. Again, it's critical to see that it's plural on both sides. Gifts of healings. And I'm going to explain in a second. Oh, it's, it's actually plural in my Bible, too. I'm just old eyes. Am I old eyes? Singular or plural? Singular. It's time for the 2.0s. The 1.5s are no longer sufficient. Gifts of healings, right? 
So here's the, here's the best thing I could come up with to define healing. Healing is the strengthening of physical weaknesses and the cure of infirmity. To heal is to make well, to make better, to restore movement or function or purpose, to restore to health, to alleviate pain. When God announces himself in the Old Testament as, I am the God who heals, the, the word that's translated healing there means to restore a wrong, sick, broken, or deficient condition to its original and proper state. God says, hey, I'm the God who restores sick, broken, deficient things to their proper state. Healings can be physical, emotional, and healings can be relational, but this is another one of those places where people really want to mince definitions. There are people that say that all the healings that take place in the New Testament are of a particular kind, and we don't see any of those healings following the New Testament. And they start arguing about dimensions of biology or something else that I never really understand. But what I see is God moving in paranormal or abnormal ways to manifest his glory and his power and his love for his people. And because he's committed to make everything whole ultimately, he will occasionally make things whole now to remind us who he is and what he promised and what he's doing. He is the God who heals. And Paul tells us that the spirit of this one God gives to his people gifts of healings. And, and I've said this several times, both, both sides are plural, and here's why. Let me just read to you this quote from D.A. Carson in his book, Showing the Spirit. This strongly suggests that there were different gifts of healings. Not everyone was getting healed by one person. And perhaps certain person with one of these gifts of healing could by the Lord's grace heal certain diseases or heal a variety of diseases, but only at certain times. I think Paul is being really adamant to say, it's not as if there's a gift of healing and God gives someone a gift of healing and they can walk around and go, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. I listened to a speaker when I was in college who was critical of the gifts of the Spirit say, there's no such thing as a gift of healing. He said, if there was a gift of healing, someone who had it could just walk in a hospital and empty the hospital out. And the pastor who discipled me grabbed this speaker after the night, and I stood there eagerly listening. What's he going to say? And he said, hey, brother, I, I, I disagree with you firmly. First of all, the Scripture doesn't say there's a gift of healing. The Scripture says there are gifts of healings, which means even Paul couldn't heal all his friends, and maybe Paul couldn't heal himself, we see in 2 Corinthians 12 and 10, right? But he said, furthermore, I believe you have a gift of teaching, and not everyone in this room learned today. He said, I didn't, I didn't learn anything from you today, and I believe you have a gift of teaching. When Paul highlights the plural nature of gifts of healings, he's saying that the Spirit of God disperses multiple gifts for multiple kinds of healings at different times, and we're never going to be able to put God in a box and say, oh, that person has the gift of healing. Just let him, just let him touch you. Just let him touch you. He'll clear out the hospitals. No, God doesn't give a gift of healing. He gives gifts of healings. And we see in the scriptures, we see throughout church history, we even see in the life of Frontline right now that God will occasionally give gifts of healings to a particular person where a person can pray for multiple people and multiple people get healed. Or a person will pray for multiple people and one of them will get healed. Or a person will pray for multiple people and it's like, hey, have you noticed that everyone you pray for that has 
separated shoulders, God heals them? People are like, no, I never even noticed that. It's like, hey, is it possible that the gift that God has given you is a unique manner to move towards people with shoulder problems? Let's pray for them right now. We've actually seen that happen presently at Frontline South, where there are people that have had words of knowledge for people with headaches and lower back problems and shoulder injuries, that God has given gifts of healings to those people, and we've seen multiple backs healed, multiple shoulders healed, multiple people healed of headaches and conditions. It's like, well, why can't they heal everybody? Well, that's not the way God works. Gifts of healings. When we see healing in the New Testament, we don't know the extent of the healings. We don't know if they were instantaneous. We don't know if like some people had months in process of healing, weeks, days, multiple prayers in the same day. There are places where like people were healed, but how quickly were they were healed? And we have no idea or no knowledge how long the healing lasted. Was it permanent? I know it wasn't permanent because people died, right? The bodies that were healed in the New Testament are now rotting in graves. What do you do if you've asked God to heal, but he hasn't? Or let me ask a different question. How have we pressed into this and asked God to help us grow and pursue this manifestation of the Spirit for the common good? Because that's that's what Paul tells us. This is all about the love of God ministering among the people of God for our collective good. What might God do to provoke you to pray for the Spirit to give you particular gifts for particular healings so that God would be glorified and we could celebrate the goodness of God together? Here's a question I feel like we gotta ask in a conversation like this. Why doesn't God heal? Because there are times when we ask him to heal and he does, and there are times when we ask him to heal and he doesn't. And I just put a couple of scriptures together. I want to be super careful and super nuanced here, and I'll explain why in a second. But I've given you two, four, maybe five or six things that we see in the scriptures of why God doesn't, doesn't heal. Absence of faith, Matthew 13, 58. And let me be super careful. Because I remember I had a friend who wanted nothing to do with God in Chicago. His mom died. And after his mom died, some dude came in the hospital room and announced to my friend, if you would have just had faith and your mom would have just had faith, none of this would have happened. Balderdash. That dishonors God, that violates the truth of the scriptures. That's not how God works. But we see the scriptures clearly say, hey, Jesus couldn't heal people because there wasn't faith present for them to be healed. So there is some element of like connection between God's healing and not with faith. James chapter five, verses 15 and 16 says that sometimes the cause of God not healing us is absence of repentance. Confess your sins so that God will heal you. James chapter five, verse six, absence of desire. James chapter four, verse two, absence of request. Hey, sorry, it's not James five, six, it's John five, six, which is a crazy story. That's the Bethesda pool sitter, right? When Jesus comes to the lame man at the pool of Bethesda and he asks him a question that seems outlandish to me, do you want to be healed? Why is that outlandish? Because everyone that was at the pool of Bethesda was there because they were sick. It's the only reason why you went to the pool of Bethesda, you wanted to get healed. And Jesus says to this guy, do you want to be healed? Why is he asking that question? And the guy comes up with all kinds of answers. No one's here to carry me down to the waters. People get in front of me in line. And is it possible that that guy had so identified with being sick and the accolades that brought him, he didn't want to be healed? John chapter five, that's Bethesda pool, 
Absence of request. James says you have not because you don't ask. Or maybe there's just an absence of our understanding into the broader workings of God, Romans 8, specifically Romans 8, 28. Is it possible that if a God is sovereign over all things and desires to give us all gifts that are good, if we ask him to heal us and he doesn't, it's because he wants to give us something better. Like what, what on earth could he give me that's better than healing? The answer is like, I, I don't know. Listen to Carrie Best in his book, Naturally Supernatural. He said, our great encouragement is that we can't heal anyone. If anything is to happen, the critical factor will be God's faithfulness. What we can do, however, is love, and then simply reach for all that God will gift us to do. I love that he says what we can do is we can love people, and we can reach for all that God would gift us to do. Could we have the courage to ask God to increase love in our body? God, would you give us more love for your name? Would you give us more love for your people? And would you let us in love move towards people and ask a loving father to give us gifts to distribute to one another? That's what this chapter is all about. It's not how can you be, become famous and powerful in Frontline Church through your manifestation of the power of the Spirit in your life. The question is, how can God use us to bless one another with the overwhelming bounty of all the riches in Christ Jesus? The, the common good. Where are you reluctant to ask the Holy Spirit to manifest his presence and power to heal in your life? Are there places where you're like, no, I don't want to ask for that. Places that are too big? And I, I can pray for smaller stuff. I, I can't pray for that. Are there places, places for you that are too small? It's like, I mean, I can pray for cancer. I can't pray for that. What if God gave us the courage to not let anything be too big or too small? We'll pray for common colds, and we'll pray for cancer, and we'll pray for paralysis, and we'll pray for, you know, stuffy nose. Well, what would hold us back from asking God to manifest his glory, to manifest his love, and to grow us in love for the common good, and just asking him to give us gifts, which at the end of the day, if we're asking him to give us himself, he'll never let us down. He may not heal everyone that we ask him to heal, but he'll never let us down. And I, by the way, would rather us pray for hundreds and thousands of people to get healed and see him heal a handful than never pray for anybody and never see anybody healed. Like that, that's what I long for in our body. I just wonder if this is a place, in this weird list of 1 Corinthians 12, is this a place where we could read God's word, hear it and receive it, and have the courage to pray, God, I believe Help my unbelief. Help us move and grow and take steps in love and power. And as we're asking God to increase the manifestations of his power, it's critical that we ask him to increase our discernment. So let's look at this final item in my list. You remember we're going to deal with tongues and prophecy later. Chad dealt with words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and faith last week. And I'm, I'm with us talking about gifts of healings, right? Workings of miracles. We'll move to the prophecy later. We're gonna to close tonight with distinguishing between spirits. What, what does it mean that the spirit enables some to distinguish between spirits? Well, some scholars argue that what Paul is talking about is simply related to interpretation of prophecy. But I think if we study the scriptures, we see that there's way more at work than just interpreting prophecy. 
If you see in Exodus chapter 7, Moses discovered that the Egyptian sorcerers could duplicate many of the miracles that God had called him to do. Well, if demons can perform the same things that God can do, how do you discern what spirit is moving in a particular paranormal situation? I mean, I've talked to guys that have been missionaries in other places, and they're like, hey, man, the witch doctors can do every single thing that Christian missionaries can do except raise the dead. So we started praying that God would raise the dead. We started praying that God would manifest his power by outshining the magic of the witches. And there are people that have seen God do that, by the way. But, but we need the Spirit to equip the people of God to be able to say, hey, wait a minute, something's happening here that's not Christ-exalting. Hey, wait a minute, something's happening here that's contrary to the Word of God. Hey, wait a minute, something's happening here that doesn't align with God's expressed, declared intent for His people. Like, that's, that's how we see prophetic words being distinguished or discerned discern all these words, but, but we also need to have the ability to discern, hey, wait a minute, what's, what's happening here? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, Jesus warned that people would perform miracles claiming to be from him, but he wouldn't even know them. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, there's an involved discernment process that John names there. So what could we do to ask the Spirit of God to awaken in us or to gift us with the ability to say, hey, stop, that's not God doing this right here. Or hey, stop, we need to humble ourselves and pray and ask the Lord to make it clear what's happening. I I heard a story told to me today. He said, hey, it's fascinating that we're talking about discernment of spirits (laughs) tonight because I I had this happen this week. I think it's what God gave us was a discerning of spirits. I was like, I need illustrations, talk to me. And he said, there was a gathering that happened, and there were people in this gathering that were talking, and everything they were saying was just confusing and cloudy. As people tried to move towards them and say, hey, maybe we should pray. Can we just stop, and can we, can we open up our Bibles and see what God says about this? There was this opposition coming from this person. They said, we kind of fought or like pressed back and forth with this person all night long. We woke up the next morning, we just felt like hung over, like we'd been beaten. And someone said, hey, that is the work of like a spirit of confusion. Like where where can we have the courage to stop and say, hey, this is not the spirit of God doing this. And and how do we pray into that and press into that and do war related to that? Not in a way that's combative or destructive, but in a way that's loving, heightens God's glory among his people and strengthens the family and bolsters our faith and increases our clarity and confidence in God's word, not starting to question things from the outside. And I want you to have the courage to constantly, constantly be asking the spirit of God, What are you doing right now? When we pray, ask, hey God, what are you doing? If there's places where we can't seem to get past the same place where we're stuck, ask the Spirit of God, God, would you give me a gift of an ability to discern what's happening here? Besides just good gut feeling or something else, well, that person has really good common sense, uh, you know, wits about them. No, we, we need the hand of God to lead us and shape us. This is Craig Keener again. I'll I'll read this quote to you. He says, discernment is important not only when distinguishing true prophets from false, 1 John 4, 1 to 6, or true prophets accurate from inaccurate prophecies, 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Discernment is also important in hearing God for ourselves. Which here's the thing. As, as 
as I read God's word, it cultivates in me a hunger to ask him to do more. God, would you manifest your presence? Would you manifest your power? Would you awaken faith in us to pray and to ask? Would you do more? Would you flex your muscles more? Would you pull back the curtains more so we could see your hand at work? And as I'm inclined to pray that, and as I see the Spirit of God do that, I'm simultaneously urged by God's Spirit to ask to drive us deep in his word. God, would you, would you deepen us in your word? Would you strengthen us in your word? Would you give us deeper understanding of who you are and how you work and how you move so that we can possess the requisite discernment to steward the gifts that we're asking you to give? I, I, I simply don't comprehend how people pit the Bible against God's spirit. It's like, well, if we, if we read the Bible, we see his spirit at work, and we're stirred to ask his spirit to move and to manifest his presence and power for God's glory and our good. And if we understand what happens when the spirit of God moves among the people of God, we know that we need to discern the workings of God through the word of God. It sends me back in the word. God, would you make us discerning people? Would you deepen our desires and would you deepen our rootedness and then would you give us the clarity and the courage to at every place we stand ask, God, what are you doing here? And then it brings us back to understanding that spiritual gifts aren't some sort of ability you're endowed with once and forever, but it's, it's moments God gives us to move towards needs. So we ask, God, what are you doing here? Oh, that person's sick. God, would you heal this person? Would you give gifts of healings right now? Oh, there's, there's discord here. God, would you, would you silence the spirit of division? And would you raise the spirit of truth? Would your word permeate this moment so that your spirit could be exalted, your name could be glorified, and your people could thrive? I, th I, think, that's, I think that's what this is all about. This is gifts of God manifested among the people of God for the common good. Let me close this way, and then we'll celebrate communion together. What I want us to do tonight is pray together. We got time. This is Craig Keener again. Which he, man, Craig Keener is a New Testament scholar that has written a massive two-volume historical and biblical analysis of all these miracles attested by doctors. And then he has a newer volume, which John Reiner has. John Reiner always has a newer book, a better book than I have. John Reiner asked me if I had Craig Keener's book, and I sent him a picture of it, and he's like, well, that's not the book I have. And he, has, he has the newer one. Um, Keener has a newer book on miracles, too, but listen to what Keener says, and we'll use this to close our time. Not everybody experiences physical healing in this life, but when God does any miracle, it's a gift to every one of us. That's because it's a confirmation to us of God's promise of a world made new of the day when he will wipe away our tears and when death and suffering will be no more. Until then, as people of his kingdom, we keep working for people's health and security in every way available to us, through medicine, through food, and sometimes through prayers for miracles that God hears and answers. Pray with me. Father, um, at the end of a long week, at the end of a different paced day. This is a different paced word, but I love that you outline your ways for your people and then you invite us to just grow and pursue and walk with you. 
So Spirit of the living God, I ask that you would increase faith among all of us. I ask that you would open our eyes to see you at work. I ask that you would deepen our understanding of your hand and your word upholding the universe and your presence everywhere, that you, you are inescapable in the universe. There's no place we can go that you are not there. So for us to ask you to move in miraculous ways, we're not asking you to be someplace that you're not already. We're asking you to show us, God, we are weak and feeble and dim-witted and dark-eyed. Would you show us as your people your ways, your glory, your power, and would you see fit, God, in your mercy to give the, the people of Frontline Church the gifts of your spirit, the manifestation of your presence among us for the common good. Move among us in such a way where we are more delighted in your name, more secure in your identity, and, uh, and, and we're healed and more whole. I ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen.